Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we are recording this intro in Vegas at Dev Intersection, sort of midway through the, the show, and the Connect guys, Microsoft guys, just left, right? Yeah, they were all here yesterday. We hosted the Connect event, and it was, uh, it was mayhem. You know what was cool? I went backstage to talk to you guys after Scott Guthrie left the stage for right. his keynote, and I have never seen, it looked like Air Traffic Control Central in there. So for a Connect event, they literally have backup demos for every demo being done on stage. So all that gear back there was each demo has a second machine with a second operator on the possibility that the demo goes wrong on stage. Wow. Like, remember when Gates had the blue screen? Yeah. That never happens again yeah. because backup demo. Although right. whatever blue screen the first demo, isn't going to blue screen the second demo? I so, don't answer that. So let's say Hanselman is doing a demo and it blows up. Right. Would you even notice? Would he just keep talking? He would, would just keep talking. They would auto immediately flip over to the other machine. And that person is mirroring him doing the demo. So he would, he would, he's practiced in the art of not going, whoa, what happened? I'm screwed up, right? Basically. Yeah. And, and, and it's very planned. Like these... You know, our usual keynotes are not this formal. These right. big Microsoft events, yeah. it's a lot of bodies. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's madness. Well, it was cool, and we learned WinForms and WPF are open source. Open sourced, and yeah, you know, it's, the world is changing. Like, look yeah. at this. Now, it's not automatically cross-platform or anything. No, of course not. WinForms and WPF are pretty deeply embedded in Windows, but more, more, more. Yeah, it's nice to know that somebody could contribute and fix some of those aggravating things that we don't like about. Well, it was the first thing that Billy Hollis said to me when I saw him after those announcements. He's <laughs> like, you know, some stuff in WPF that's been bugging me for a while. I think I'm going to fix it. I think I'm just going to go <laughs> fix it. Exactly. Exactly right. It's great. It's pretty cool. All right. Well, I got something interesting for Better Know Framework. So roll the crazy music away, the boys. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? It's an app, and it's one I hadn't heard of, but apparently all the kids are using it. It's called Google Duo. Google Duo? Yeah. It's a it's an alternative to FaceTime, so you can uh, okay. connect with everyone regardless if they have an Android or iPhone. So, and works I mean, on Wi-Fi. Isn't this Google Hangouts? Sort of, yeah, but I mean, it's just if you're... There's a lot of people that love FaceTime, right? Sure, yeah. So this is what you tell your your friends who have iPhones say, hey, use Google Duo instead of FaceTime because then we can talk. Because okay. I, I have an Android phone, right? It works on Wi-Fi and cell and right. there's support for iPads as well. Google Duo. Awesome, dude. Nice find. That's it. That's a good one. Who's talking to us, All man? All the kids are using it. Grab your comment off a of show 1568, the one we did with Matt Netcow back in August of 2018, talking about progressive web apps for mobile development. Mm -hmm. You remember? Mm -hmm. And of course, Bat was awesome. Great conversation. Just understanding about how the browsers and mobile devices, you know, you can do anything you want with it now. And Aaron Bauman had this great comment. He says, I'll start by saying I really appreciate the progressive web app movement. I believe for many companies, it's probably an afterthought as they build native apps for their audience. However, in a small company with limited resources, progressive web apps are a great option. And I, I think I'm going to disagree with you, yeah, Aaron. I, I think that native apps are a mistake mm. because App Store. Mm. All of that pain, you know, we've been through this. We have. Uh, PWA, I think, is a superior solution. Now yeah. that now the PWAs are compatible across smart browsers, yeah. they work well on the phones. This is what it was designed for. Right. I, I can't understand. You've got to justify to me why you would spend the money and the agony and the ongoing spend right. for a native app. Yeah. But Aaron goes on to say, when I started at my company two years ago, they had and still have a 20-year-old Windows application. Now, would that be a 22-year-old <laughs> Windows application? No. 
that had been the backbone of our information systems. Man, how many times we hear this story, right? Yeah. They also had a newer iOS app that offered a small subset of the features for mobile users. We are currently in the process of replacing both an MVC web app, and yes, I said it, we are going to remove the iOS app and move for what some may feel is a backward step to a web app. You're not going to see me nope. say that, Aaron. Nope. However, the iOS app would never have all the same functionality. It would never be useful on our Windows machines. Yep. Why have two applications that are always competing for developer time? Right. Training on one system takes a lot of effort. Why force users to learn two different systems? Agreed. Why constantly answer the question of, I have that feature on my laptop, why can't I get it for my phone? Right. Dude's making my argument for me. Yeah, it's he true. Just, he just thinks it has to be small companies do this. That right. These are great arguments. Yeah. Progressive web apps are probably something that many companies do after native apps, but for a small company like us, I think they're the starting point and maybe the only point. Mm -hmm. Browsers and device makers, please put time into improving the PWA experience on your devices. If we need to pay an app developer fee to get even better integration, so be it. And thanks to .NET Rocks for keeping the light on the progressive web app. Absolutely. Many of us want improvements to continue. Yes. Dude. Thanks. arguments yeah we're all on board you agree with us mm -hmm. you know this is the stuff we've been working on this is the job is i i'm paying attention to this because i see the problems yep. and i think we need to know more and we need to insist on it being great that's right so aaron thank you so much for your comment a copy of music to go by is on its way to you and if you'd like a copy of music to go by write a comment on the website at donetrocks.com or via any of our social media well really just facebook we publish every show to facebook and if you comment there and we read it on the show we'll send you a copy of music to go by and definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet, but don't be too progressively aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, this is a, a panel that you did in uh, at DevReach in yeah. Bulgaria. You hosted it. Yeah, you were elsewhere. I so was. I got to I got to host the panel on my own. Uh, Sam Basu, who we know well, Jen Looper, we've talked to before, Joe Franchetti, who I met for the first time. Yep. You'll you'll love her. She's yep. fantastic. Uh, really interesting spread of viewpoints on mobile development. It's fun to get that, you know, mm -hmm. folks that like to work well in Xamarin or in Cordova mm -hmm. and of course native script because we're there. We are at a Telerik show. So yeah, we got to right. kind of talk about that. Well, I can't wait. Let's roll it. Awesome. Okay. And here we are in Bulgaria at DevReach, the 10th DevReach in, I guess, roughly 12 years, because we didn't do it every year. And I have an esteemed panel to talk a little bit about mobile dev. And to make my life simpler, and for everybody can hear your voices, let's go down the line and introduce yourself, Sam. All right. Hey, I'm Sam Basu. I'm a developer advocate at Progress. I mostly deal with uh, the .NET side of the family. And I speak and I write, and I am happy to be here. Hi, everyone. My name's Jen Looper. I'm also a developer advocate at Progress. I'm working more on the native script side, so the JavaScript to native um, product that we have. And I'm also the CEO of ViewVixens, which is an initiative I founded within the Vue.js community. So very happy to be here. Hey, everybody. I'm Joe Franchetti. I am a developer advocate at Samsung Internet. My team really want to help all developers out there to make the web a better place to be. Awesome. So, I mean, for better or worse, we have two Telerik folks on this panel, but you do come at it from different angles because you're very much a .NET sort of Xamarin guy, Sam. Yep. Okay. And then, and then Jen's more on the native script side, which is a whole other conversation, I'm sure. We'll have some, some fun with that. Um, how, how are you feeling as, a, as, a, as folks who build stuff in the Xamarin space? How are you guys feeling about it? Like, what's the, how's Xamarin doing for you? 
I think very, very good because I think this is going to, we are at an interesting juncture and things are going to evolve, but we're at a good place. I think from, uh, if you're a .NET developer, um, the tools that we have to go build apps that are for mobile, not, doesn't need to be just apps, but something that is for mobile. The tools have matured. The ecosystem has matured mm -hmm. a lot over the last the two years. The acquisition into Microsoft, it seems like it's stabilized yes, the product that helped, a bit. That helped. And, um, things are evolving on the, uh, on the Microsoft and Xamarin land. So it's all about code sharing. Right. Where can we take our code um, that is just for Xamarin now to other places, other platforms? So more and more platform support for Xamarin. And then if you look at the WebAssembly side of things, it's again the evolution of how we can reuse our code everywhere. Yeah, I'm really nice. interested to see what happens with WebAssembly in a mobile context, because right now it seems very much like it's just for the PC building sort of enterprise -y internal apps with no SEO capabilities of any kind because the view source on a Blazor app is awesome. Here's right. the 15 DLLs and that's about it. Right, right. Um, the lure is getting XAML back on the web. Yeah. And if you can power the same web applications that work nicely on a mobile device with the same XAML and C-sharp code base that you have, that's a win. So we'll see. Yeah, the fragmentation of XAML for better or worse that's now become, you know, the the flavor that is WPF, the flavor that is UWP, and then there's Xamarin Forms, which is kind of a XAML, but it seems like different from everything else. It is. So I think no one team at Microsoft really owns XAML over the years. It's a it's a lightweight markup language, and everybody did their own thing. I'm I'm going to question the lightweight part, but okay. <laughs> Uh, so, and again, for better or worse, everybody did their own thing. Xamarin Forms is very much catering to the mobile uh, form factor, but uh, there have been efforts. Uh, they were trying to work on XAML standard, which would unify um, the dialect for all platforms, but it's an incredibly hard problem to solve. So uh, we'll see eventually it does if it does become one dialect. Um, but again, if you consider XAML now powering apps on Tizen and back on the web, uh, there is a need for some better messaging that can take your XAML everywhere and you still write the same XAML. It occurs to me that if Joe works for Samsung, do you do the Tizen thing? No, no, no operating system at all. My team is all web, sadly, so I uh, can't be of any use there. No, that's fine. I, I, the, I mean, I'm meaning to do a Tizen show one of these days. I have talked to a couple of devs that work in the space, but they mostly play in Tizen against like televisions. Mm -hmm. And they say challenging development environment, like yes. not, not a trivial thing. But when you talk about web for mobile, what are you talking about? So um, when we talk about that, we're talking about, you know, apps in your browser. Right. So we, PWA. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So uh, something that my team is very, very keen on is, uh, you know, getting the message of how great PWAs are out there. You know, we can build an app-like experience using the technologies that we already know and love. So your HTML, your CSS, your JavaScript, the things that, you know, we all sort of grew up learning. You can now make a sort of native-like experience using them. It's nice. Is are the browsers uniform enough that if I write a PWA, it works the same on Chrome on Android as it does the trouble child safari on ios sure so safari have recently uh, added support for service workers so you will get your um your app working you know in a native like way you won't get push notifications yet on safari but maybe i, I think apple 
isn't wrong resisting push notifications. They're fairly awful for yeah. the most part. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's definitely on us as developers to stop start. abusing the toast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Have a little bit of responsibility for our actions there with regards to all notifications and any kind of permissions, in fact. I don't know that we're at a, mo a time in the mobile model yet where you can actually really, you know, right now you give the permissions at the beginning of the app before you've done anything. I would love for us to get to a place where only when you went to utilize a feature would it say, hey, to use this feature, I now need access to the camera. Absolutely. And only take it then. And if you don't want to give me access to the camera, then I don't do it. The fact that I have to, the first time I install the app, agree, you get all the, I, I want access to your Twitter account and your contacts yeah. and your, and all those requests right up front, whether you use the feature or not. And the, the danger with PWAs is, you know, maybe somebody's been linked there from a URL. They don't even know who you are yet. And right. you're suddenly like, can we know your location? And they're like, like mm. I don't even know what you do. Yeah. I'm, so I'm thinking, no. <laughs> and then, and some apps at that point literally bail. It's like, well, if I can't have what I want, I'm going home. <laughs> you're getting nothing. Here's yeah, a I'm, wall of text. I'm pouting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely something that we all as developers need to start thinking about you know acting well with regards to asking for permissions thinking about how many permissions we need to actually ask for up front i think you can have a little bit better user experience w within a mobile app by you know having an onboarding screen going on and then you're offered a button uh would you like to sign up for push notifications at that moment? Right. Which doesn't really answer the question of when the permissions are actually set, but at least there's the feeling that you're opting in. You know, so that's well, kind is, of... Isn't this really an architectural issue that we have a manifest that demands a set of permissions that basically add install, it says, um, you're going to grant all these, right? Or we don't get to play. I it's believe basically so. they've yeah. managed to turn that permission set into a EULA. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Except you, nobody can read you it. All, everybody, you know, everybody has to click OK on the EULA before they get to use the app. Sometimes they make you scroll to the bottom of the nightmare and then <laughs> click OK. Mm -hmm. But you certainly don't read it. You haven't really agreed to it. You've just sort of said, what do I have to do to proceed? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. now they've done the same. The permission model, in my mind, is the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's got into a really dangerous place where we're almost training our users to just say yes to things. Mm -hmm. I think you're being way too kind, Joe. We have trained them. It has worked <laughs> remarkably well. And the sheer volume of problems that are caused because people are dialogue blind. Mm -hmm. Look for the button that means proceed. Yeah. Is it a right error? Is it an okay? Is it an I agree? I don't care. Just mm -hmm. make me go. Can we make an can we make a piece of software that just clicks those buttons automatically? <laughs> the I agree button, you know, tool. <laughs> like because that's yeah. they're making us into that tool by the way that they present this information. Well, the the number of people who are now asking browsers to, you know, include interfaces that help them manage permissions. It's something that users really want. And in fact, it's something that Firefox are turning on. You can block uh, any websites from even being allowed to show permissions. Wow. That's cool. That's interesting. Uh, and I'm very excited about Tim Berners-Lee's initiative, mm -hmm. the Sol Solid and Incept. Yeah. I've not heard of this. Oh, so no. go. Our, our buddy TBL, you know, the reason we're all here has uh, decided he wants us to take back our the ownership of our data and he's going to try i mean it's not he's not the only one who's trying mm -hmm. but it's tim berners lee yeah mm -hmm. so sir <laughs> tim berners lee so i'm i hope he succeeds i'm in for whatever he's making but yeah this idea i mean i've read enough now that i'm sort of in the place of all right so i have a bunch of my the idea that i can grant time limited permissions to a site or to an app i think is a cool idea yes all definitely. Do is get people to actually do it uh, I'm going to pause just for a moment 
for this really important message. Hey, Carl here. If you enjoy music to code by, you or someone you know might be interested in the app, which I've generically branded music to flow by. See what I did there? <laughs> it's a subscription model. And if you bought the complete collection of music to code by before October 24th, 2017, you are eligible to win a free six-month subscription. With that, you get access to all the tracks on your phone with offline support. You get continuous play and even a sleep timer. Download Music to Flow by in your app store and flow on. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell here in Bulgaria at DevReach. We've got an esteemed panel of mobile dev folks, Sam Basu, Jen Looper, and Joe. Did I get your last name right? Franchetti. Franchetti, just like it's spelled. Uh, and we haven't talked about NativeScript, so I feel bad. That's okay. Jen, what is it you do? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm a developer advocate, so that means that basically I travel over, all over the world and meet people, which mm -hmm. is fun. But um, I also get to talk about a product that I'm really passionate about, which is NativeScript. And I've been a mobile developer for, well, ever since my little iPhone uh, 4. So this little device, I fell in love with it. I started building. I think that was the first great iPhone. Yeah. Because the first couple were just not that good. Yeah. It was, iPhone 4 was a moment. It was, the, it was that moment where I got my first, you know, this thing. And you start realizing, you know, you could maybe make an app. And that would be yeah. really cool. So first app I made with, with Objective-C, and then I discovered Corona SDK. And once you start getting into these um, projects like Corona SDK, you start realizing that maybe you could design for, you know, iOS and Android. And this opened up a whole new world. So we have such a, a solution um, here at Progress, and which is called NativeScript. And with NativeScript, you're writing JavaScript, and um, which with a, a framework such as Angular or Vue.js or no framework at all. So we give our developers some choices, and then they're able to write apps for um, iOS and Android. And that's a very fun thing. The thing that I find fascinating is there are so many choices now mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. you want to build for the mobile form factor. But despite the choices, there's a surprising amount of clarity as to how you go about it. If you want to do .NET and if you want to stay in Visual Studio all day, go to Xamarin. Right. If you, and C Sharp makes you happy. Exactly. Right? Which, that's a non-trivial yeah. number of people. <laughs> right. And if you are rather invested in the web stack, uh, go do JavaScript native or you do PWAs. It's right. surprisingly simple. And it's all, I think it comes down to code sharing. What else do you have? Because you're not just making a mobile app. How else can you share your assets between your web, desktop, and mobile apps? I think that... The waters are getting a little can get a little bit muddy when you throw in hybrid into the into the solution. So we get a lot of questions working a booth. You know, what's the difference between native script and something like Cordova? And you start having to explain what what's going on here. Do you remember so, when Cordova was Phone Gap and this was phone just supposed gap, to be a I've temporary been to phone thing? Gap day was awesome. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, I love the sentiment. We did shows back then. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, mm -hmm. while HTML five isn't good enough yet, mm -hmm. here is a way for us to bridge the gap. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. HTML5 is pretty good now, mm -hmm. and PhoneGap doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It's still a pretty productive way to build software. Yeah, it is. And there are products built on top of it that are amazing. Mm -hmm. There's Ionic. There's other um, really great you know, solutions. It's just something that, you know, I wouldn't say evolved, but the, the whole um, aspect of developing for mobile can be, you know, kind of clarified and changed as soon as you go into JavaScript native. So it's kind of the next generation after, after the Cordova solution. I think the way I see it is with the same technologies, if you can make a native app, why would you make a hybrid app? Yeah, as long as the, the real question is how much repeated work am I doing and am I getting a good enough experience on the device? Yeah, that's right. the that's the kicker. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's a, a challenging one, but for better or worse, like JavaScript kind of wins in this space. It's it the does. most native option. Even if you, I mean, 
let me th throw you another way. Why would you build an app? Why not just stick with web mobile? Well, right. if you've already got a website, then why not make it a PWA and you're you're pretty much already there. Right. I mean, with you know a small bit of extra JavaScript and your and your JSON file, the website that you already have can and probably should be a PWA. Yeah. In well, my and it's, if you're at least if you're consumer facing, that's the majority of your customers are coming that way. Mm -hmm. And if I just throw the manifest in, now it's an icon on a phone. Yep. Like, should I? You know, what's the justification for doing more than that? I'm actually curious, and I, I would love to do some usability studies for PWAs. Mm -hmm. I think of someone like my dad with his Android, and he deals with a few downloaded apps that we helped him download. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, when he hits such a website and he sees that pop-up, you know, I'd like to download mm -hmm. an icon, He's, I think he's going to freak out. <laughs> so I just wonder, I wonder what like the, the elder population is going to feel about this sort of thing and um, how it'll be kind of adopted. It'll be really interesting to watch. So it's, it, it's another thing that I think is really important, similar to the permissions. Like, mm -hmm. we shouldn't be offering that download to home screen uh, pop up until the users maybe visited multiple times or mm. spent a large amount of time on the app so that you know there's engagement here they might want to come back mm -hmm. now we offered them the ability to actually you know take that engagement to their home screen and That's because a it idea. is a website you absolutely have that choice like until mm -hmm. someone's absolutely. actually set up I, I would think you'd do it in the account creation process or you've cared enough for now to give me your personal information and get set up with an account. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, hey, would you like this to just appear as an icon? And it, well, then click on this. It's going. To, your phone's going to ask you if this is okay. If this mm -hmm. is what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Wrap yeah, like it in something friendly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or friendlier. Yeah, something digestible. Yeah, always a challenge there. <laughs> I think, but I also I feel like I chucked hybrid under the bus. I mean, it, it is still a legit strategy if you're building line of business apps. Uh, I think. Uh, and again, I mean, with hybrid apps, you could get um, some code reusability on the web. Uh, but again, I mean, if you could, with just a little bit more effort, make a native app um, and you get the native experience uh, close to the metal, um, maybe why would you? And when you say native app, you are you still meaning Xamarin? Or no, and I, I do mean be, Xamarin, be, right. but uh, <laughs> or the, any the JavaScript native side options. of things. <laughs> right, which is native script, React native, because you are sharing code with your web and your mobile. Right. So, uh, you know, I think, Joe, you said it very well about why I would build mm -hmm. uh, a PWA is you have a website, it's where your customer's already going, make right. sure it works well on the phone. I think, Sam, maybe what you're saying is you have an app, you wrote it in C Sharp, it has a back end, people want it on their phone. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a great use case because you likely already have uh, investments in, in desktop and right. in web. And again, I mean, it kind of goes back to what your stack looks like, mm -hmm. because a lot of enterprises who have traditionally been .NET shops now are happy to do Angular as part. Maybe .NET is your backend. Right. And then maybe you don't want to do C Sharp and .NET. Maybe it's okay for you to go the JavaScript mm -hmm. route for sharing code between web and mobile. If you've already if you've already done it, or if you're getting thinking, I want to do something different on the client from going forward. Right. If you are starting to think about what else can I do, I want to get off a desktop right. client. Right. Now, again, I mean, having said that, the desktop story is also evolving. Mm -hmm. We all know about .NET Core. Uh, .NET Core has come along a long way in the last two three years. Yep. And then we can look ahead at .NET Core three, mm -hmm. which brings that goodness back to the desktop. So with a .NET standard DLL, you can actually reuse a lot of code between desktop and even mobile. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if that's actually true. Yep. We'll you know, see. <laughs> we we at Build, I had an opportunity to interview. Uh, Mads Torgerson and Hunt, Scott Hunter, Beth Massey, and one of the conversations was that they had been 
prototyping a WinForms implementation that handled high DPI screens. And it simply, you couldn't just port your code across. Like there were issues every time. Mm. And so you know, one of the things they were talking about in the context of .NET 3 and this idea of a, of a Windows specific SDK that works against .NET 3 was that, yeah, it's code compatible WinForms, but you better do some testing because it is the high DPI one. It's going to behave differently. Early days, but again, uh, I think .NET standard is a big step in the right direction. I Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with yeah. you on that for sure. It certainly helped us over. I got to think from a Telerik perspective, a progress perspective, the fact that you know that if your your tools are compliant with standard, then anybody who's working in any of these things that also use standard, it's just going to work. Yes. Mm -hmm. like that, that to me is a huge amount of pain relieved for you and certainly for, for your customers too. Right. I still wrestle a bit with how exactly the native script part plays. So you're basically compiling JavaScript into native code. That's right. So um, you're writing, you know, your your entire application in JavaScript, right? With, with or without a framework, and then you're um, leveraging the um, JavaScript runtimes mm -hmm. to compile to native. So it's a runtime. It's a little bit different from the React Native Bridge. It's a slightly <laughs> slightly different um, concepts of doing basically the same thing. So we're just leveraging JavaScript and and porting over to native. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a really nice solution when you need that downloaded mobile app. Right. And I always think of things like, you know, using plugins and this sort of thing to get that native experience, you know, when you need your accelerometer or when you need very special, you know, uh, situations that, that certain apps need. Um, and the other thing that comes to mind for a reason why you might need a downloadable mobile app is for monetization right. strategies. So, you know, at some point you're going to have to deal with the app store and with Google play yeah. so that your customers can access. Um, I think it's very interesting to watch how monetization has changed. It used to be that the indie developer could, you know, release a paid mobile app and you'd make a decent amount of money. That's completely gone. The sadly. 99 cent app model just doesn't work anymore. Sadly. It no. doesn't. It's really interesting that that's true. That that's true that that model it's 99 cents, man. You just dropped four fifty on a latte. I had I had an app for four ninety nine. I did pretty well for a little while. <laughs> I uh, my I'll, I'll admit this, and actually, my wife has happens to be traveling with me this week, so you guys have actually met her. Mm -hmm. I bought her an iPad specifically for coaching curling mm -hmm. because the best curling coaching app in the world is iPad specific and a hundred dollars. Oh my. Wow. And it was in the store. So I dropped a hundred bucks on an app on for an, an app? iPad, wow. which, parent, which she used. Like it's, it, was it better a, be a good app. I'm, it's I'm a assuming pro it's a great coach, app. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I sort of understood why he was making money off of that. But it's like, there's only so many people who need a curling coaching app, mm -hmm. but those who need it, really need it mm -hmm. and it was worth the hundred dollars it was a christmas present right? i mean the gaming industry will always have these downloadables that that will make a certain amount of money sure but for the rest of us who had you know um your basic ionic app or your basic nativescript app and you try to charge a dollar for it it's just you know it's, it's yeah. not gonna happen and it's just a dollar it's very interesting that that's actually broken mm. hey richard yeah buddy Guess what time it is now? Time for a carefully inserted comment in the middle of a pre-recorded show. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's time to announce yet another mobile PWA platform. It's called Overreact. Oh, <laughs> it comes with fifty line sheets, a coil binding, a pencil, and a crate of carrier pigeons. <laughs> my my web app is very progressive, but I love the battery life. That's right. Completely random access. Absolutely, you go anywhere you want instantly. Doesn't require any power or batteries either. 
<laughs> uh, it's actually time to give away a $200 Amazon gift card, compliments of Progress Telerik, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about the most... Comp- that still tickles me. He's pretty funny, man. But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today, Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. And new this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive documentation, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com download. And also, please consider supporting .NET Rocks by making a monthly pledge at patreon.netrocks.com to ensure we will stay on the air for years to come. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Tace Hansen. Congratulations, Tace. Yes. Off for you. Sorry if I mispronounced your first name, Tace, but I'm sure you'll know who I'm talking to when you hear this on the radio. And uh, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club, Thais has won a $200 Amazon gift card, compliments of Progress Telerik. And if you'd like to join the .NET Rocks fan club, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up if you want to win. And, um, you know, this is a really interesting conversation that you're having. I'm really enjoying it, uh, especially hearing from Sam and what those guys at Telerik are doing. It's really cool. It's good just, stuff. But yeah. I did ask him the $5,000 question. Yeah. Well, let's find out what he wants. All right. And I'm going to get, I get a chance to ask all of you, what would you do with $5,000? Sam, any thoughts? Okay. So maybe not directly computer related but i think we are finally ready for electric cars <laughs> well well they they've been teslas for yeah. a while i may not be buying a tesla but i'm so happy that elon and his team did what they did because it's yes. making everybody else sit up and do stuff yeah. and, you and see, that was always his intent exactly right? and you see bmw's mercedes and audi's everybody making electric cars so i know it takes a little bit of prep but i would like to get ready for it uh, kind of get my garage uh, ready so I can have that high voltage. Uh, the fast charger. Yeah, the super burn, fast That can burn five grand, especially yeah. if you need to run some wires from the basement and things. Because who has a dryer outlet in their garage? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> the garage. <laughs> so looking forward, that will be a good investment because then mm-hmm. we can just go all electric. I'll tell you, I have a, I have a neighbor or I have a buddy who uh, lives in a condo complex and couldn't get the condo complex to put up you've got the same problem same Jen? situation yeah. okay, we got a townhouse yeah. so then he discovered that there was a hotel like a block away <laughs> that charged six bucks for night parking on the electric charger hmm. and so what he started doing was he'd pay the six bucks he'd put it on the charger when he got home from work then do his evening stuff right and then at night after everything's done before he goes to bed he walks the dog back to the car <laughs> which is now charged drives it back puts it in his own space that's the end of his night so it's sort of that $6 every other day kind of thing. So he said, now he's at the point where he's like, I'm just not going to put the charger into my place. Like, why, why even have this fight anymore? I don't right. care. Between his work, where he gets superior parking because of the electric plug, and that, that hotel, he's set. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Jen, 5000 what do you spend it on? So we just actually did spend about $5,000 to buy a kind of the opposite extreme, a 2005 <laughs> uh, vintage Mustang pony package. Wow. Uh, drop top purrs like a panther for my daughter. So she's um, she's driving uh, Charlie, her new car. What year? Uh, 2005, about a hundred and something thousand miles on it. So it's a lot. But Is that a Mustang 2? Oh. Or no, that's the three. It's the, it's the, the, it was the early versions of the new model. Probably. Because yeah. it looks a lot like my husband's GT. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm the Prius driving mom and we kind of balance each other out in terms of environmental damage. You're the Prius damage. driving mom and then there's two Mustangs? <laughs> and there's two Mustangs. Okay, so kinda, now there's yeah. a, that's a thing. But yeah, it's amazing what you can do for 5000 I was going to think you just banked that on gas, right? Yeah. It's got six in it, I presume. <laughs> She's going to be babysitting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. That is one lucky door to the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joe? Um, so I am uh, a gamer, not at all into cars. Um, so for me, I would really love to buy a VR rig for my living room. Yeah, and that's a good five thousand bucks, in. easy. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> if you if you go all out, right? Like that, you'll. Uh, any, are you more of a Vive or a uh, uh, or an Oculus? So I've I've tried the Vive and really enjoyed it. Right. The, the problem being the uh, you know the needing to set up all the different uh, sensors around your room. I had a go of an Oculus Go the other day and that was really fun the yeah. sort of the freedom that that gives you um <laughs> so yeah i'm not sure what is actually top of the market at the moment but um, yeah it's, it's mm. it seems like it's just very much personal opinion things about mm. oculus versus vive they seem to be the two one way or the other yeah. but it's more the machine that drives it these right. days right <laughs> and you know basically you need a 1080 and uh that's a thousand bucks oh that yeah. is a 20 or a 2080 if you really want to spend money uh, no, I think you guys have burned through the money just fine. <laughs> uh, well done. Great set of choices. I appreciate that. Uh, sometimes it's hard on folks. It's, it's, what would you do with gadgets? And it, it's, this shows coming out in December. I don't know exactly when. So it's around the time we do the drawing. And fairly consistently, it's been a dev rig that people have. When actually right. confronted, <laughs> it's, uh, who knows? I'd love to have somebody do something really crazy. I don't know. The, the Oculus rig would be cool. <laughs> Uh, let's dive back into this. Can we talk about how awful app stores are? Oh, yes. <laughs> I've been doing this for a long, long time. Yeah. And it's it's a nightmare every time and it keeps changing. Just when you think you got it down. <laughs> right. Getting your... I used to have a really good system of doing my screenshots and make them look fancy and then you worry about the icon. It has to dis- be designed very carefully. Upload all that stuff and then you do it again for Google Play. Right. So, as you know, that's that's the one thing that we really can't get right cross-platform, sadly. So the, I mean, the software can be cross-platform, but your actual yeah. descriptions and how you present it in the store. Yeah, it's like a marketing package you have to put together. I mean, we used to do, I used to make a website as well for each of my apps. Mm-hmm. That needs to have a press package as well. So, there's just a huge amount for a solid app release in the app stores. You need to really think it through and get all those assets really, really tight. Well, I'd and, love to run down this with you just a bit. So, uh, what goes into that app submission piece? Okay. So, assuming that you've um, managed to get your provisioning profile, so I'm primarily iOS, so right. provisioning profile nightmare, get that all set up, get your app compiled and uploaded into the App Store with whatever version you want. Mm-hmm. At that point, you need to also have a, um, a nice icon designed, and this is very, very important to get it right. I see, I see a lot of mistakes <laughs> around this area. You also need to get your screenshots, about five, and they need to be scaled, so you need to do them for your iPhone, you do, do it again for your iPad, make right. sure it's right um, if you're releasing for iPad, and then you need to be very, very careful about the title of your app. 
you can go onto App Annie and look for keywords and um, make so, sure. And what are you looking for? That somebody else is already using that name? Uh, well, yeah, you have to make sure that you don't step on someone else's name, but you won't be able to submit such a thing. They'll flag it'll, you right away. Kick It'll kick back. Yeah. Okay. Um, it used to be that you could stuff a bunch of keywords into your title. <laughs> they oh. stopped us from doing that. So it was like all the tricks and crazy things we used to try to do. So um, short title, concise, but it's then there's a description that you have to fill out with keywords. Right. You need to um, be very, very careful to get those right. Yeah. Um, so this is how people are going to find your app amongst the literal millions bazillions of apps so i had an app called the roomalizer which was um you would take a photograph of a, a picture of a room and then you could paint and add details and you know drop plants it was really early days now they do it really nicely with like ikea and vr and ar sure but this was you know kind of not very exciting corona sdk app um, and i happened to get one keyword right by accident and i managed to sell that app for 1500 bucks because <laughs> wow. somebody wanted it so you know these kind of things that was a total accident but if you do it right you can actually that's the other way of monetizing your apps build it and sell it build it and sell it to yeah. somebody who wants to give it away because it sells a product exactly. or a service of theirs then you need to think about localizing mm -hmm. so if you want to release um, in markets that are of interest to you so for a lot of games you might want to release in south korea so right. i tend to do cute games for kids very popular in south korea so you want to get that all localized including the the um, app so under the icon there's the little name of the app on your phone right that needs to be localized as well so you have to be very very careful and get in this korean. right in korean so well, where everything. do you get translation services done um, you can, um, there's, <laughs> I'm so cheap. I go to fiverr.com <laughs> Right. for $5. You can $5, get, yeah. somebody will translate paragraph for you. That yeah, kind of thing. Be beware because they'll go straight to Google translate and it'll be a hot mess. So you need to have Korean friends. <laughs> nice. So, well, I um, guess the smart thing to do if you're going to do that is first run it through Google translate. So you know what you don't want. Exactly. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we learned these things the hard way. I ran the Russian translations that came back for one of my apps via my Russian friend. And she's like, this is, yeah, this is not no, Russian. This is not right. Yeah. <laughs> so no, that's, it that's was a fitness app so you had to be careful yeah i know i think words are really challenging for yeah. that and and these are difficult problems to solve no matter how you build your app like yeah no, this is not a technology no, problem no. but it's no, part this is of marketing. living yeah. in the yeah. world sales yeah. and marketing and so. your discoverability yeah. is going to suck because you just have so many apps but yeah. again enterprises do want to have that app store presence yeah. and and we can see that if the uh, if the app is b2c right like yeah. if you want yeah. the customer right. to have absolutely. it absolutely yeah, yeah. and yeah. then for google play there's a whole different um strategy you have to have um a marketing image so um, hmm. It's so you have to put together, you know, something that looks nice. That's not a screenshot. So it's there's just a lot going on for each of these specific platforms. And then a press pack. I used to do a website for each of my apps. So for I have an app called Practice Buddy for students of music and their teachers, and I had a little press package that went with it in case somebody wanted to interview you, send them to the website, they can mm -hmm. get information. So it's all the sales and marketing stuff that people don't think about. They're like, yeah, I'm going to release an app. Hold on, <laughs> there's so much more. Right. So it's yeah, interesting. I think tooling can help a little bit. Um, on the marketing mm -hmm. side? No, just the app publication side. Sure. If you look at what the Xamarin folks, yeah. uh, James and Miguel, uh, we have David Ortner who here is uh, yeah. uh, the PM for Xamarin Forms. They are trying. They're not quite there yet, but they're trying that if you're in Visual Studio, you should be able to provision your iOS device and eventually be able to push from Visual Studio itself. Yeah. And I think that experience is something they have tried refining over time. And we time. have Sidekick here internally. Right. We have Sidekick. You can handle some provisioning profiles. You can actually scale your, you know, get your icons sorted out and scale some assets within these tools that some companies provide as or well. Or you can build a PWA and skip yeah. this whole step. <laughs> this is the fun part. Well, <laughs> The downside with, of not being in the App Store then is that you're never going to be found in search. Or can you still go into the App Store with a PWA? So you, you absolutely can. Um, and Microsoft have actually built a really great tool called PWA Builder. 
mm-hmm. uh, which you can oh. run your PWA through and it'll do the packaging for you for different stores. Microsoft are actually really keen to get PWAs into their app store. So they mm. have actually spoken about building a crawler. So if your uh, PWA is out there on the web and they find it and they consider it to be a quality PWA. Right. So you really have to have worked on uh, your accessibility, on your performance, um, you know, made the app a really great app. But mm-hmm. if they find it and they consider it a quality PWA, then they will automatically put it in the Windows App Store, which I think is amazing. That can is you, awesome. Can you put a, um, uh, such a thing in an iOS App Store yet, a PWA? Uh, I think you have to do some packaging of it in order to get it into the uh, iOS app store. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And, and uh, Google, obviously, are very yeah. keen for PWAs. So there's a lot I think the Microsoft store is really well flushed out because the UWP store, they want those apps. Yeah. yeah. So the P- if you have a PWA, it's a nicer experience kind of hooking into the Windows notifications and the mm-hmm. Windows permission mm-hmm. systems and then get that app in the store. And then, of course, you've got the ability for it to work as a desktop experience as well as your mobile experience. And yeah, that's, that's true. We, we sometimes actually forget, like UWP just works everywhere. Does it? And does yeah. it really? Yeah. Universal as long as it's Windows. Exactly. But <laughs> okay. within the Windows system, even if you have a PWA, if you can get it into the UWP store, yeah, then it works on tablets and it works on a Hololens. As long as I mean, they're yeah, right. Both we'll guys who have HoloLenses are very excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> we are so brutally overdue for, for a hardware refresh yes, on the HoloLens are. side. Yeah. Like, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> but yeah, I'm very interested to see what happens to the UWP considering how Microsoft has reorganized Windows. I don't think we've really seen what that model looks like going forward yet. But I, I mean, I know that that you guys being Telerik or slash Progress or Progress slash Telerik, have a non-trivial commitment into the UWP space. Like you guys have built yeah. great tools. For yeah. You. And again, I mean, we are keeping a very close eye on things and sure. how we evolve. If you look at the, if you are kind of invested in UWP XAML, mm-hmm. again, the five folks who are, um, Uno is wonderful. Yeah. And we did a great show with the Uno guys. They were amazing. So now you can take pure <laughs> UWP XAML and they kind of run it through mono anyways. Yeah. But then you can put it in iOS and Android. Um, but then that lights up like our UWP uh, suite is completely open source. Mm-hmm. So now you can and use the same .NET-ish controls to light up iOS and Android apps, right. which is a nice story. Again, it does work on the Surface hubs, on, on HoloLenses. So I think UWP is here to stay. What, what we will see is how the Xamarin story flushes into it. Merges into yeah. that one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, I'm also really interested in this. You know, Once upon a time, you needed to make your iPhone app look like an iPhone app and your Android app look like an Android app. And then Facebook's like, no, it looks like a Facebook app. <laughs> and and it, I see more corp app builders saying, no, same experience on every device. Opinions? I do have opinions on that because people are throwing material design all over creation. Yes. Somebody said recently that material design is the new bootstrap. <laughs> and, and that's kind <laughs> that's of harsh. Googles. That's harsh. And I'm a GDE, so I... Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, it didn't happen. But um, I don't love to see material design in an iOS app. For me, it still feels a little strange. Yeah, it's um, a foreigner. Yeah, it's a little intrusive. But everyone has their own opinions on this. I don't think that's just, just my one opinion. right way. Yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, if you have an app, <laughs> Android guy. No, iOS guy. Oh, iOS. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, you don't need to be a Facebook or a PayPal to have the consistent experience everywhere. Sure. Even if you're building a line of business app, you'll want users to have the same experience everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have been having iOS versus Android conversations for a decade now. I mean, I think people are used to 
their own like peculiarities, but let apps be apps and let the experience shine through. But it's the same experience, but that's a custom experience. It's not just taking a Google thing and throwing it onto some, yeah. something else. Make it run on an so, iOS yeah. thing. I mean, for the most part, games are uniform across the platforms. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it, they have to be, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's just the nature of games where they take over the entire UI stack. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. It's just interesting that we have, and then you have a few, uh, let's call them sovereign apps or, or marquee apps that again, uniform UXs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then a certain class where they're supposed to be platform specific. Yeah. Like the Fidelity app is one of the most beautiful banking apps and Bank of America is awesome too. And I'm pretty sure that the experience is extremely similar across platforms. Right. But they are still using the UX Mm -hmm. symbology of each platform. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and some of the native tech does that kind of automatically, right? Xamarin was good for this with Xamarin Forms. They, yeah. One set of code, more or less, looked native to yeah. each of the platforms. NativeScript has um, has their own module library, so mm-hmm. we have about seventy something modules. So you can have, you know, your action bar is going to look completely different by default right. on Android and iOS, and then you can style it so it's all similar. But I find it interesting how similar NativeScript and Xamarin are, although yeah. they come to it from com- two completely different completely angles. Different well, it's ends. a team, though. Same exact thing, and in fact, yes, DNA I mean, of a company. <laughs> the folks who build out NativeScript, some of the tooling, they came from a .NET and the mm-hmm. XAML background. So you Right. It's going to see that the similarity. Similar, yeah, the markup yeah. is very similar. Mm-hmm. But again, pick your poison, .NET or JavaScript, and right. then you get to uh, arrive at a native mobile app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just still feel like there's so many choices. It's it's almost it's almost frustrating. It's bewildering yeah. sometimes, yeah. It's hard to explain sometimes. I well, like how like the Xamarin folks have always defined native versus everything else. Right. Native UI, native API access, and native performance. And some of it, maybe the performance part is debatable, but you have to have native uh, sure. UI at least. Uh, that's what makes it a native app. And then, uh, I mean, every technology stack will give you complete native API access nowadays. So that's not the big big issue. Right. Is, it, is your UI truly native to that platform? We are sort of hitting a point where we're built out now. Like once upon a time, phone gaps claim to fame was it was going to give you access to the services inside of the phone mm-hmm. that HTML certainly couldn't or mm-hmm. JavaScript certainly couldn't at the time. But that time appears to have passed. Yeah, web, web APIs are giving us access to nearly all of the things that you can get with native now. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so we don't have access to your contacts, but that's probably a good thing, <laughs> web I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, se- it seems to be, you know, there's not a ton good to say about Windows Phone, but they really kicked it on contacts. <laughs> I still miss that. And generally the UI, the... Yeah. Total lack of phones and complete you know, lack of support. Don't miss that very much at all. But, <laughs> but I just switched to a Pixel 3 and my contacts still aren't right yet. You know, it's one of the, you're just going to have to fuss with it. <laughs> I spent a few years with Windows Phone. It was a beautiful user experience. Yeah. It's just yeah. It was a lovely device yeah, nice. that just never went anywhere it needed to go for better yes. or worse. I'm not, I'm not bitter. Uh, I'm a little bitter. <laughs> Joe mentioned this very casually and I, I want to spend a little time on it. Accessibility. Mm. Building mobile stuff for folks that have different capabilities. What do you do? Well, um, the the joy of PWAs is that we have all of the built-in accessibility that comes with, with HTML. Right, right. I mean, you know, it, there's there's so many good things in there, especially with HTML5. If you're building a, a quality piece of html then the accessibility is already there just you know, built you, in yeah you're using the the right elements you're you're making hopefully accessible 
choices. <laughs> and and that is a good point because again, you don't have to do it all by hand. Right. If you're making a PWA with uh, tools that are nice, like we make a Kinder UI, which is a JavaScript tooling, and if you use some of our UI, the accessibility part is built in. Mm-hmm. So it kind of all kind of goes back to how is it that you're building your app? What's your stack? And so maybe you don't have to do everything by hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, I mean, we we talked about native elements, but native elements in the browser are so well tested and so well understood by everybody. Um, you know, you have that ex- completely accessible element there ready and waiting for you to use. Nice. Now, I think I, th- I think it knocks a big chunk of it, but in the non-PWA world, when you start building real mobile apps, are there libraries? Like, what do you, what do you have to do? There are. I'm not an expert on accessibility, actually. Mm. So it's, a, it's a very challenging area. It is, and it's something I'd like to explore more. Um, I, I believe there are standard ways of doing it, mm-hmm. and that you can certainly do with something like NativeScript. I always kind of would start with accessibility looking at things like color and watching for colorblind situations. So start start from there and then work work your way into the true accessibility. This is skating on top mm-hmm. of my knowledge. But yeah, colorblindness, ability to scale, like all of those vision options, mm-hmm. the spoken word mm-hmm. features for, for other vision issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. But things like form design, I think there's quite complicated things that we need to pay attention to. Scaling, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, at 50, I miss a lot more clicks these days than mm-hmm. I used to. And, you know, swiping, yeah, just, pinch and zoom, you know. And, and I could just see anybody who has, you know, challenge hitting that screen precisely enough mm-hmm. i really like you'd be able to scale make I think things a little bigger it's extremely useful just to watch people watch older people use your apps yeah. it's just so so useful we did a great we did a show a while ago on on testing in the mobile space and one of the things they were doing was they were turning on the camera to watch the user's expressions mm-hmm. while they were using the app like you learn so much about their level of frustration <laughs> by how they look yeah. what do you guys do for testing are you Test. talking about testing testing your app like quality before you ship user testing is an aspect of it like there's a lot of of testing is a small a big area and i mean and i think testing is only a small slice of it because mobile is hard yeah. making a All true mobile app is it's a big life cycle yeah you mm-hmm. have to have devops you have to have testing you have to have usability and you have to have analytics mm-hmm. and all of those things is like a v- huge gamut of things sure. some of it comes bundled in uh, microsoft has a very nice story with uh, visual studio app center some of the testing is kind of built in uh, xamarin used to have and it still is a part of app center now um, they had a, a lab in boston where you could actually run your app on real devices literally 2000 devices yeah it's xamarin test xamarin labs. test those yeah, are test, amazing test studio mm-hmm. uh, test and studio. it's still there it's part of app center because i mean especially on android you're not going to be able to test your app on every device no. uh, they will actually ship your app and um, run it with little cameras mounted on watching top. each of the devices exactly and then they'll give you screenshots so yeah. some of those things are hard to pull off if you are indie uh, but if you are really making a production line of business app uh, use some of these tools which can help and i don't even know that it's just making a mobile website to have it actually look at all the renderings mm. on all the devices that's I think is pretty what, valuable that was my issue back in the day when i was working at a, um, a smaller company um, but i was lucky enough since i'm based in Boston, mm-hmm. I had access to a company, uh, Filament Group. They have an open um, device library, so they had um, maybe 50 different types of phones that you could go and pull up your website and just check. Right. So I went through and just screenshotted every, everything, and it's kind of horrifying, you know, <laughs> what you're trying to <laughs> But, you know, it's really, it's, it's labor-intensive and brutal. But there are so many great tools yeah. built into the browsers now. Yeah. I mean, you, can, you can throttle your 
bandwidth right down you can you mm. know change the cpu of the phone sure um mm. you know there are all sorts of audits that you can run in mm -hmm. the browsers these days um, chrome is only one of them like firefox has got mm. some great tools yeah. even mm -hmm. uh, i've, I've always has. loved web page tests for okay yes. let's see what it's like for someone from india uh, accessing yeah. this on a iphone 4 mm. and it would show you the mm -hmm. rendering times and, and you're like okay that's tough absolutely like, and then 200 millisecond ping times have consequences. I love all these tools and I think it's really important that we do the testing, but it doesn't replace actually getting a slow device on yeah. a slow connection and actually feeling that frustration yourself. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important that developers mm -hmm. get that experience so they can understand what they're doing to the user. Yeah. Well, how often do you go to a physical device while you're building your software? Or versus an emulator? I think it should be done early and often. <laughs> early and often? Yeah, I think... Because it is a slower cycle. Well, we have some really great tooling around that. Um, yeah. We have um, new hot module replacement, and you can be working you know, right on your phone. We have a NativeScript playground. Right? Yeah, it's leveraging Webpack. Um, mm -hmm. And... Um, you, or you could just tether your phone in and then just run as you go. Right. So we have live sync and we have now hot module replacement in native script. So you can really get that fast, fast cycle going. And that's really, really helpful. I was just going to mention about testing. As you're developing, you can always set up unit tests. And since we're in the JavaScript world, we can use some of those, you know, Mocha and Jest and those sort of things right. as we go. So that's, that's a useful tool set to keep in mind. Yeah. Or absolutely. you can just ship to prod, not test, but we don't do such things. <laughs> well, all software gets tested. It's just a question of whether it first gets tested it's, on the customer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at Windows lately, near as I can tell, that's how Microsoft's doing it these days. <laughs> uh, ship it, see how loud the streams are. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm absolutely appreciative of that. All right, well, let's have a hand for our panelists then. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a